Welcome to Breadcrumbs. This is the prophetic journal of a girl who's more than happy to eat the crumbs off the master's table. If you're like me, then listen and be encouraged that even in the whispers and mere shadows, our God still speaks, and he has a lot to say. She asked us a really simple question. All she said is, what was the testimony of Jesus? We all know what our testimony is about Jesus. If you grew up in a believing home, you would have been taught from the very earliest age to testify that Jesus came, he died for our sins, he rose again, and because of what he did, we have eternal life. But what was Jesus's testimony to us? The answer was right there inside of me. It sprang up effortlessly. I wrote down, Jesus was all about his dad. His testimony was his dad. If you read John 14, it's really hard to miss. The words I say to you, I don't say on my own authority, but they come from my Father who abides in me. Believe me, I'm in the Father. The Father is in me. Whoever loves me will be loved by my Father. My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our dwelling place with him. I am going back to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I love the Father. I do exactly as the Father's commanded me. I'm the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. My Father is glorified and honored by this when you bear much fruit and prove yourselves to be my disciples. He was always looking towards his dad. Every time we read about him wanting to escape the crowds to go away somewhere quiet, it's because he wanted to be with his father. His spirit was always turned upwards, listening, being provided for, being comforted by the voice of his father. One of the first verses all of us are taught to memorize is John 3.16. I think we're used to assuming the verse is all about Jesus, but listen again. For God, the Father, so loved the world, he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That verse is about the giving of a Son by a Father who loved us. I've been thinking about so many stories in the Bible and how easily we focus on the wrong thing. I'm realizing how many of the key stories center around the Father and what the heart of a good father is always doing. We read the story of the prodigal son, and we spend a lot of time analyzing what each of the sons represent. But that story is so much less about the sons than it is about the father and his arms open posture, ever waiting for the lost one to come home. His lavish love, his forgiving nature, the depth of his mercy and generosity, forgiveness. I think about the story of Isaac needing a bride and how it was his dad, Abraham, who sent his most trusted servant to go out and find an excellent bride, one who was worthy of his son. Now was the story really about Rebecca? The story did feature a bride who was servant-hearted and who was willing and ready to go and be a bride. But I think we miss that it was about a good father providing for his son. Interestingly, years before Abraham bent his efforts towards getting his son a good bride, Abraham learned a lesson of good fatherhood when he was asked to lay his son on the altar. And that's when he learned that God the Father was prepared to give up everything for the sake of another wedding. I've been thinking a lot about the meta story 
the biggest story of all that the Bible tells. And if you're like me, you definitely used to think that it was all about the cross. But the cross was actually the gateway to the fuller, truer story. And that story is about the wedding and about what comes after the wedding. The cross was about a bridegroom's blood willingly paid for a blood-bought bride and a father smiling upon the union that is to come between his son and that bride because together they will rule the eternal kingdom that will never ever end a kingdom in which the son and his bride perfectly united finally are priests a perfect priesthood son and daughter priests to the father who will finally be enthroned here on earth 1 Corinthians 15 says the most fascinating thing, that in the end, after Jesus, who comes as a warrior, has finally conquered every single enemy, he will hand over the kingdom to his dad, and his dad will finally sit on an earthly throne and live among us. And that will truly be a new thing, indeed, because the Bible says no one has ever seen him except the Son, but we will, whatever that means. My little brother got married last week. As he was waiting outside the sanctuary doors, they were about to open and he was about to walk out to wait for his bride. He said he saw a vision of a flower bulb. It was slowly opening and as it did, a ring of fire encircled it. It was sparking. It looked a lot like when you light a sparkler in the dark and you move it in a circle. He asked me what I thought it meant and I knew. I said, it means you're part of the bride. And I know that sounds funny, given that my brother at the time of that vision was literally a bridegroom waiting for his bride to come down the aisle. But in the Bible, Jesus is the only one with that position. Jesus is the bridegroom, and all of us collectively are the bride. What my brother saw was very similar to something I had seen last year. In my journal, this is what I wrote about it. I woke to a woman, maybe an angel, in a blue gown with long blonde hair. She reached out a finger and drew a symbol onto my open right palm. It was of a red tulip encircled by a rainbow, and I immediately nodded my head like I had received instructions, and then I began to pray. I have no idea what I prayed, but my spirit tells me it was a commissioning of sorts, a promise that would delight me. The revelation I got at the time was that the tulip represented rebirth, or new beginnings, but I would put it a lot more starkly now. The tulip represents an entirely new thing being done in the earth and in his people. Tulips are one of the first things that show up in the spring. They represent the newness of spring, a springing forth from the barely thawed winter soil. And the verse that the Lord keeps drawing me to over and over is Isaiah 43:19. Listen carefully, I'm about to do a new thing. Now it will spring forth, spring forth. The word spring there means to quickly bring something forth. It's often used to describe a plant shoot that shoots up quickly from the ground. And the word new has the connotation of fresh. As for the rainbow, well, I've talked about rainbows in many of these words. The rainbow represents the oldest promise we have. He told Noah, I won't flood the earth again. But what he was really saying is, I will not give up on these people I've made. I will always keep my promise that in the end, I will have myself a people. I've been thinking about what that really means. Back in the very beginning of this book we love, we read about a bride being given to a bridegroom. And at that time, 
God himself said, it is not good for man to be alone. And in that complicated way that two things can be true at the same time. We know God is self-sufficient, three in one, in perfect fellowship with one another in the Trinity. But we also know that the Father intended for his Son to have a bride, that it was the bride that was always before Jesus as the reward he was straining towards, just beyond the greatest suffering that anyone has ever endured in the history of eternity. The bride was the joy set before him. And so that first rainbow, it was the Father saying, I will have a people. I will keep a remnant no matter how hard they try to obliterate themselves and run from me. I will have them because my son will have a bride, and my son and his bride will be my people forever and ever. Did you know that all rainbows are actually perfect circles? It's just from down here, our earthly vantage point, we can only see half of it. But if you go up above the clouds, from heaven's perspective, you could say, it looks like a ring. I think that's profound that from the Father's vantage point, he always sees that ring. He's always reminded of his promise that there would be a wedding. But we know that wedding isn't going to happen until the bride is perfectly prepared and complete. And I've come to understand very deeply that that is going to look like, in particular, the final uniting of Jew and Gentile. I was up to Jeremiah 31 in my Bible reading, and yet another verse about a new thing cropped up in my reading, but this one is far more enigmatic. The Lord has created a new thing in the land. A woman will encompass a man. There are hundreds of ways of interpreting this, but because he has me here, sitting very deeply in the understanding of his plan as a father for his son, I can't help but see the wedding again. And I found the most beautiful piece of writing in this regard. This woman wrote her thoughts down after seeing the last solar eclipse. This is what I read. Jeremiah 31 is a prophecy about the return of the exiles, the restoration of our captivity. Return to me, says Abba, and he will show you a woman encompassing a man. The new thing, the woman encompassing a man, it's bridal, covenantal language. In the Jewish tradition, the woman encircles her groom seven times in the fullness of the Holy Spirit to create a new house and to tear down any walls, like Jericho, that may remain between them. Like the moon, she is rarely the visible one in their union, but there is one day where she is the star for all to see, her wedding day. The moon is the light in the sky for those in darkness. When I saw the moon make her way between the sun and earth, I saw a glorious union, the tent of the two made into one flesh, a glimpse of what is to come. And whenever a moon passes across the sun, that's when you see those incredible photographs of a ring of fire, a ring of fire, exactly what my brother saw in his vision. I found this so compelling. And one of the reasons was because of the vision I had a while ago of a company of people in white robes circling a city seven times. Seven times. I've spoke about this before, and I knew it had to do with a binding, with a building together, a building up. In this essay, this woman takes it in a direction that absolutely blew my mind, because it has everything I've been seeing about the Jew and the Gentile and the scattering and the gathering. Here's what she says about Jacob and Rachel. Rachel was the daughter of Laban. Laban's name means moon. Rachel was the moon to Jacob's son, 
And so as I watch the moon eclipse the sun, I can hear her calling. She's pleading with you to come home. Come back to Abba. The reunion will be so glorious. The whole world will stand still and look up. The moon is the reflector of Abba's glorious light. Jeremiah 31 I will be the God of all the families of Israel. Those who found grace in the wilderness, I have drawn you. I will build you and rebuild you. I will bring you from the north country. I will gather you from the most remote parts of the earth. A great company will return. I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. He who scattered Israel will gather him. Rachel, she weeps for her children. Remember, Rachel had twelve children, the twelve tribes. First they split off from each other into two, and then they split more as they all scattered throughout the earth. Remember how I spoke about Zion grieving for the children that all left. She refuses to be comforted because they are gone. Thus says the Lord, Restrain your voice from weeping, your eyes from tears. Your children will return. They will come back. I have surely heard Ephraim grieving. My heart longs for him, for the Lord has created a new thing in the land. A woman will encompass a man. I see it. I can't help but see it. The new thing that will spring forth, that has not yet ever sprung forth, is that the two houses will become one, Jew and Gentile, perfectly united, finally. And as I've already said, I believe Ephraim actually represents the Gentile people in Scripture, whose blood has now been mingled with all of the scattered Jewish tribes, so that it can be said that the blood of God's chosen family is now seated throughout the entire earth. And in Romans, when it says, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, that's when Jesus returns. There's going to be a wedding soon. Isaiah 11 brings together that sevenfold fullness when it speaks of the Holy Spirit, the sevenfold spirit, that Jesus, our bridegroom, will be wrapped about by the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of strength, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And he will acquire the remnant of his people. He will lift up a signal over the nations, and he'll assemble all the outcasts of Israel. He'll gather up the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth, and then the jealousy of Ephraim will depart. Ephraim and Judah will finally unite, and they will swoop down on the slopes of their enemies towards the west. In this passage, I see the two becoming one, and the fullness of the Spirit making it so. If we live our life fixing our eyes on the cross as the beginning and the end of our story, then we are missing the fullness. It was the gate that walks us through to the wedding. Recently, in a series of night visions, I saw Jesus' face, and from his hairline, a drop of old, rust-colored blood began to flow down his forehead, and then it began to branch out into multiple little streams running down his face until they looked a lot like a river delta or like the roots of a vast tree. Next, I saw myself standing on an open expanse of land, and I saw a river move towards me, and much like the vision before it, it branched off into multiple little streams. I saw them unfurling before me, as far as the eye could see. And again, Isaiah 43, 19. Listen carefully, I'm about to do new thing. 
Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will put a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I have given waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people who I formed for myself. In Isaiah 44, I will pour out water on him who is thirsty and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants, and they will spring up among the grass like willows by the streams of water. This final uniting of the scattered family, it's spoken of over and over again in the scriptures as something that will suddenly spring forth. And yet, it will only be suddenly to us. The God who can see the full rainbow circle from the heavens has been tracking and weaving the whole time. He is the one who sent forth the river from Eden. He is the one who sends forth the river of the Spirit from the temple, and he can track every single branch that has come from it as it split over and over and over and flowed out into the four corners of the earth. He has followed his family, the ancient bloodline of his heart. He can trace every single family tree, every name, every twist and turn, every uprooting and rerooting in a new land, every intermarriage, and it is coming into its fullness. Isaiah 43, will you not be aware of it? How can we be? But he is. And when the last one comes into the fold, when the fullness of the scattered ones comes about, there is a sense that with incredible speed, we will witness a family reunion of sorts, a uniting that is mysterious. We'll know when we know. In Ephesians 3, Paul speaks of a mystery that had been hidden throughout all the ages, only now beginning to be revealed. He speaks about how this mystery will display the multifaceted wisdom of God. He spoke about the plan for Jew and Gentile to be joined together. Don't lose heart at my sufferings on your behalf. They are glory and honor for this reason, grasping the greatness of this plan that Jews and Gentiles will be joined together. I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Paul understood. We get really caught up on family trees, on who we belong to, where we came from. I believe God intends to surprise us. I believe the depth of the mystery that Paul is speaking about, it hasn't been fully revealed yet. And we'll find out how far-reaching his family tree really went. And when that revelation hits, when the fullness of the mystery is finally revealed, those trumpets we're going to hear, which will sound like doom to the world, to us they'll sound like wedding bells. If you want to interact with any of these episodes, if the Lord has spoken to you about similar things, then I really want to hear about it. This podcast has an Instagram account over at Mildly Prophetic. I'll put that in the show notes. If you hop over there, you can share the things you've seen and heard. You can ask me questions. Basically, you can add your breadcrumbs to mine. And if we gather them all up, then what a feast it'll be.